the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace to you from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. St. Peter exclaims, We have left everything and followed you. Career, home, family, friends, perhaps even their favorite local cheese shop on the corner. Everything. We, the disciples, have left everything and followed you. What then shall we have? The disciples weren't the only ones to leave things behind to follow Jesus. Undoubtedly, you also have left much behind. Perhaps you have left behind the community within which you've grown up, or even close family ties due to disagreements over the gospel. And yet, that isn't the only form in which Christians leave things behind. For instance, you're making a self-sacrifice right here and right now by being in church. You are giving up time on your precious Sunday morning. And as I've come to find out, for a crowd of Packer fans, there isn't much more valuable things than that. For you, perhaps being here this morning means that you compromised on a good night's sleep, reduced time tailgating with friends, or even missed the opening kickoff. And yet, with respect to time, this Sunday is only the tip of the iceberg. If you are a member here at Faith, you've given up countless hours studying God's Word in catechesis, or attending Sunday Bible studies and divine services, participating in the evenings at outreach activities and the like, not to mention all the time that you've spent at home on personal devotions. And in terms of money, you have given a portion of your income to support the church. In a few weeks, as the church enters into the seasons of Advent, and eventually also Lent, some of you will decide to observe the penitential seasons by leaving behind yet more things that you hold close. Perhaps things like eating meat, or watching television, or shopping for clothes. The reality is, is that we have all left something behind to follow Jesus. And so Peter's words become our own words. And we say, we have left everything and followed you, Jesus. And so we want to know, what then will we have? What is our reward? I think in our minds, it is easy for us to expect that we will be rewarded in a very exact and fair manner. Just as employees who work hard will get promoted, so also Christians who leave behind a lot ought to be rewarded extra, right? 
when Peter asked this question to Jesus, Jesus responded with two answers. On the one hand, Jesus seems to be telling Peter exactly what you and I want to hear. Jesus says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my name's sake will receive hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. If we pause and do some quick math in our heads, a hundredfold sounds pretty good. After all, 100 stakes that I leave, or 100 stakes for every steak that I do not eat during Lent, sounds like a pretty good afterlife. We can build ourselves up quite the feast in the life to come. And yet, deep in our gut, we know that Jesus isn't speaking literally here, is he? He isn't speaking as if our reward in heaven will be a precisely compensated measurement for all that we've left behind. And it's at this point in the conversation with Peter that Jesus goes on to give his second response to Peter's question. That response is found in our gospel message for today or is often called the parable of the laborers in the vineyard. If you're like me, you'll quickly jump to the end of the parable and may leave you scratching your head and maybe a little bit upset and confused. For you see, we learn that despite some of the laborers working harder than other laborers and longer than other laborers, all of them are paid the same wage. What happened to the hundredfold? Isn't there a reward for leaving everything in following Christ behind? And so we ask again, what then shall we have? In telling us this parable, Jesus has, uh, has us take a step back. He reorients us. The parable is not a parable of exacted justice, where a hundredfold is dealt out to Jesus' followers. But instead, it is a parable of God's generosity and grace. Anything that we receive from God is a gracious gift. In it, the unemployed workers go to the marketplace seeking work. Each of these workers likely had a wife and children to feed back at home. Their family depended on them to earn work for the day so that, so that they could buy their food and pay for their other needs. They went to the marketplace in the hope that a manager may hire them for work and so it was with this certain landlord, the master, who traveled to the market early in the morning. He hired out a number of workers agreeing to pay each a denarius, that is, a typical day's wage. One cannot help but imagine the despair of the other workers, those who were not hired. 
Here, their wives and children depended on them to come back with a wage. This time ticked away, early morning turned into late morning. Their spirits began to sink, and they became desperate. If they returned home at this point, their families would know immediately that it would be another night without a meal. To return now meant that they would return to a household of grumbling, and they themselves would be shamed. In that hour, the third hour, that certain landlord demonstrated his mercy. He returned to the market in search of the unemployed, and he hired yet more into his vineyard. It is the master's mercy that takes center stage in this parable, and he repeatedly makes the trek to and from the marketplace, hiring more laborers at the sixth hour, the ninth hour, and again at the eleventh hour, when there was but yet one hour left in the working day. The master does not show grace only to the laborers who were hired last. Instead, he shows grace to all of the workers, for he has given them employment and money to bring back to their households. God is the master in the parable, and we are the unemployed in need of a wage. The master generously gives each one of us more than what we deserve when, in our baptisms, he took each of us into his vineyard, that is, his church. It's in baptism that we are brought into the very name of God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We are claimed God's own, and all that is the Father's, including eternal life, is now ours. Do we deserve it? No. Does God graciously give it to us anyways? Yes. And what's more, that gift found in baptism comes to us at the Master's own expense. I mentioned earlier that we direct our gaze to the end of this parable. And yet, as is typical for Jewish literature, the climax in this parable is actually at the center. In verse 8, we are told, When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman. We pause here because this should catch us off guard. All this time, it was the master himself who was doing the work. He was the one who went to the marketplace early in the morning. He was the one who returned each of those hours looking for more unemployed workers. And yet, if he had a foreman, why didn't he just send him out to the marketplace? For some unexplained reason, in the heat of the day, the master 
chose to do all of the hard work himself. What the master goes on to tell the foreman in verse 8 should also catch us off guard. The foreman is directed to pay each laborer the daily wage. That is, the master didn't have to pay the workers a denarius. The workers didn't even put in enough work or labor to be worth a denarius. But the master chose to pay them it anyways. The master's generosity, both that of toiling under the sun and paying each laborer a day's wage, came at his own expense. And so it is of Christ. Christ gives each of us eternal life. And yet, that eternal life didn't come free of charge. Christ was the one who came into the world. He was the one who toiled underneath the sun in our place. He was the one who, having lived a perfect life, offered it up for us on the cross. Jesus was the master who went out early in the morning. For it was at that hour that the chief priests and the elders decided to put him to death. Jesus was the master who returned to that marketplace at the third hour, when he let himself be nailed to the tree. Jesus was the master who returned at the sixth and the ninth hour, when darkness came and covered the earth. And Jesus was the master at the eleventh hour, when there was but one hour left in the working day, when he, as the merciful master yet again, let his body be buried in a tomb. God did all of this for you. That denarius that he freely gives is Christ's own righteousness. His life, death, and resurrection are given to each of you in your baptism. We have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? Jesus responds, my own righteous life, which is infinitely more than hundredfold. There is no greater gift. So is it worth it? Is following Christ worth the countless things that we have left behind? Whether it be a career, a home, a family, whether it be money or your favorite steak during Lent, or dare I say, occasionally missing even a kickoff, push come to shove, is leaving all of these things behind to follow Christ worth it? It is absolutely worth it. In truth, there is nothing greater than for us to study God's word, grow in faith, receive Christ's own body and blood here at the altar. 
and to share God's grace with those around us. As the psalmist says, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of the wicked. For us, to toil in the vineyard, regardless of the cost, is a delight in itself. Interestingly, the parable ends rather abruptly. The master pays each of the laborers, and Jesus says that the laborers paid last began to grumble. He doesn't say whether or not these laborers chose to reject that gift and walk away. And in reality, it doesn't matter what they chose to do with their denarius, because this parable isn't directed towards them. It's directed towards you, the listener. You have received God's gracious gift in the hope that you rejoice with him in his generosity. Jesus warns against pride and greed, lest you become to begin to grumble against others. Everyone who receives um, God's gener generous gift receives it knowingly that they are unworthy. And this is the beauty of the parable and why we can call God our generous master. In the name of Jesus, amen.